What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Aisha, how's it going? It's doing great. It's going great. How are you? You know, trying to be productive out here, you know. I'm, 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 but I'm excited about this conversation we're about to have. So am I. Um, how's life been? How's the campaign been? Campaign's been great, busy, mm-hmm. uh, but I can't complain. Everything is going, um, everything's going wonderfully well. Thank and, you for asking. Oh, no, no problem. And so you are a candidate for Chancery Court Part 3. Yes. Um, here in uh, Davidson County, Nashville. Um, no, it was crazy when I was looking at this. I was like, Part 3, Part 1? That was just that was that was like different to, to see that because it's usually like division or you know and there's Roman numerals and stuff like that. So it's like part one, part two, part three. Is that right? And that's correct. Yes. And so yeah, so it's only four parts here in Nashville, right? I believe. Yes, yep. four it's, parts to the Chantry Court. Um, and so the incumbent has retired. Yes. And now it's a two-person race. Seems like right at this moment. Well, you know, I will. I'm the only one who is going to be on the Democratic okay. uh, ballot. Um, someone is going to, or they say that they are launching a write-in campaign okay. against me um, in the general. So in okay. August. Okay. So, yeah. Well, we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, tell us a little bit about who you are, um, and just a little bit about you know, not the whole story. And okay. then you know, we'll we'll go picking pieces. But just tell a little bit about who you are, and like you know, your background a little bit. Okay. Well, my name is Aisha Miles, of course, and I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, born and raised. My parents are still married. Um, they still live in Cincinnati. I have one sister. Her name is Alita. She lives in LA. And, you know, we were, you know, a pretty normal family, you know, growing up. Um, it was, a, it grew up in the 80s, you know, so in the 90s, you know, so that's kind of my childhood, mm-hmm. you know, background. So we had Sunday dinners together. We got lots of whoopings, you know. We got lots of love too, but right. you know, right. it's a typical uh, strong black family. So, <laughs> and so, what would your, um, what would your sister or like some of your your childhood friends say about you? Ooh, okay. Um, There's probably an overachiever, mm. you know. So a little bit on the nerdy side. Okay. Uh, but you know, probably overachiever, like. Even my sister now is like, you know, you can settle down a little bit. It's okay. So, yeah. what what do you think they come from? Like wanted to like just be great at everything, right? Yeah. I, so I, I'm a firstborn, you know. So I think that firstborn sometimes have this. We have everyone has to be pleased with us. Yeah. Um. So, but you know, I might be a, a little bit of a type A. You know, maybe. Um perfectionist type oh, person. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. How, so. how has that benefited you, but also, you know, maybe caused some barriers? Like, how has that played, you know, yeah. pros and cons to that? Yeah. So, you know, on, on some things, it's great, you know, and then on other things, like, it's really hard sometimes because I want everything to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're working with different people who have different ways of doing things, you know, you have to sometimes um, release 
right. and let them <laughs> do their own thing. Right. And as long as the job gets done, you know, right. the job gets done. But yeah, it can, yeah, it can sometimes be interesting. And so um, what inspired you to get into a legal career? Yeah. So when I was a little girl, mm-hmm. I told my dad I was going to be a judge someday. Okay. Right. So, but we didn't know any lawyers. Right. We definitely didn't know any judges. But you know, I grew up with Huxtables, and so I had Claire okay. Huxtable, and you know, Cliff was a doctor, and Claire was the lawyer. Right. And so I just looked at her, and I was just like, she was the epitome of style and class, mm-hmm. and she was a lawyer. Um, so I told my dad, I was like, I'm going to be a judge someday, and he just kind of looked at me like okay. Um, And I didn't start off, you know, in the law. I had a business career. I worked in business for 10 years before switching careers and going to the legal profession. And I just wasn't fulfilled in business, you know, like corporate, Mm -hmm. you know, it was all about, you know, dollars and cases out the door and and the bottom line for the company. But then the world around me, I just saw gross inequity mm. um, and how people were not being treated right. fairly um, right. or equitably. And frankly, my companies were just, you know, still just about the dollar and still right. about the bottom line. So um, I had a son and I told my dad, I was like, you know, I told you I was going to be a lawyer, a judge someday. And so now is the time. And I will say that when I was in undergrad, I worked for an attorney um, while I was in school. And I would just sit and read the cases, sit and Mm -hmm. read the binders of of cases and depositions, and I found it so fascinating. And he allowed me to participate in this one case. Um, There was a case here in Tennessee where uh, people, the people were paying for their loved ones to be cremated, and they actually weren't being cremated. They were being given back like boxes of sand and dirt. And the bodies were just thrown um, basically in the back of this business. And I took the call um, from the plaintiff, the lead plaintiff in that class action lawsuit when I was in undergrad. And I just, I knew then, I was like, I'm gonna go to law school someday. I'm actually gonna do this. I just had some other things that I wanted to do first. So yeah, I came back to the law. Now that's 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 amazing. Like it's it's hard for people that's been in some 10 years and then just completely like take a shift, right? And so it was that like going like to law school, like taking LSAT, taking the LSAT, taking the bar, all of that, all of that, taking the LSAT, applying to law school. Wow, you you wanted to go back to school. I went back to school, and I went back to school. I had a second baby while I was in. I got married Uh um, my first year of law school. Got pregnant, you know, right. my second semester, and you know, had a baby. So I was a mom, yeah. you know, and was doing mom things and school, school things, school a, student, things. No, a full time student and a full time mom, you know. So you know, but I look at that and say, you know, when there's something that you really want to do, right. there's nothing that will stop you. Yeah. You know, I would stay up all night long Um, and I still get up like at three o'clock in the morning that's just my best time to get stuff done Um, but yeah and now I have I have another baby I'm divorced Uh, so I'm three kids now and a dog and you know I I practice at a firm and 
You know, there's just nothing. I, I'm convinced that when you put your mind to it, yeah. you just have to have grit. Right. And just something that you you just won't give up on. Wow, that's a that's a lot of grit. Like being a, a full parent, going to school, and it's not like you like. It's not like you're not like like you just in school to be in school, right? Like right. you're you're in law school. In law school. <laughs> <laughs> like it ain't no like it ain't no like easy days, right? It's just it's, right. it's a lot. How did you how did you navigate like what did you learn about yourself like during that time? Yeah, I really learned, you know, my dad used to say you're like a bulldog. Um, and he's like a, when a bulldog makes up its mind or mm-hmm. clenches its teeth to something like it does not let go, like right. you have to pry its teeth. And he was like, I didn't understand this as a little girl like right. Daddy, what do you mean? I'm like a bulldog. But right. he was like, you just won't let it go. Once mm-hmm. you put your mind to it, like you will not let it go. Yeah. And that's really been my journey. You right. know, like I started off as a single mom and then, you know, find myself full circle again. But, right. you know, I, I have a little girl now. She's six years old. And I look at her and I want her to know that there is nothing that she cannot do. Yeah. You know, like there's nothing, no barrier that she right. cannot break. There's nothing that she cannot do. And that's a and and I just have to say this just for all you know the the black women out there and just women in general but I like to just because my mama black so I just gotta gotta just gotta give the high praise in my estimation <clears throat> for me but you know um, just all the single moms out there that's that's doing that amazing like motherly thing professional thing and and still like you know keeping all your hair <laughs> right like because like just right. just being a parent isn't isn't easy in general right but just right. being a single parent and having to, to to juggle and balance all of those things like that's incredible and so um i want to give you your flowers for being able to do that and still be great and accomplish things thank you um thank you. what were some of the the down times right because i'm pretty sure everything wasn't you know like just up and, and go lucky, right? You know, being yeah. a single mother and having to do all those things. Like, what are some of the downtimes where you're like, ah, did you ever doubt yourself? Did you ever say, ah, it's, it's a lot, it's too much? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It definitely. <laughs> you know, but what are you going to do? Right. You know, like, I, it's not like I can say, well, it's too much, I'm going to quit. Right. You know, a friend of mine, one of my close friends, she told me this. You know, when things got, you know, a little rough, you know, she's like, you know, what? at the end of every day, you get to quit. Mm-hmm. You get to say, you know, what? I'm not doing this anymore today. Right. She's like, but in the morning, you get back up and you keep going. Right. You know, so there are moments, you know, when I'm like, this is hard, yeah. you know, just everything going on this was before running for office now you throw like i have two full-time jobs and well maybe three you know with my work campaigning and you know with the kids and you know there are moments that you know i'm tired and i usually just kind of step away Mm -hmm. and recharge and you know do those things that feed my soul and then i'm ready to go again yeah so and and that brings me to like i think another important like avenue in this is like navigating all of this as a black woman right mm, yeah being in business being in corporate right um being in, in just in a legal career right a lot of these or well, all of these things are dominated primarily by white men mm-hmm. right 
how have you been able to navigate those spaces where you are the minority, right? You may be the only woman or even black woman or black person or person of color, right, right. in these spaces. Yeah, so, and and just to, to kind of uh, pinpoint, I do construction law, right? right. So being a woman in a male-dominated area of the law and then a black woman in right. a male-dominated area of the law, I move to the sound of my own drum. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't necessarily wait for people to say, it's okay for you to come over here. Right. Because if I sit there and I wait, the invitation will never be extended. Mm. I see the opportunity and I seize it. Right. And the one thing that I've learned, especially dealing in construction law and being in, you know, a, a big firm, you know, like I have to sometimes make my own path. You know, no one is, no senior partner necessarily is there with a book of business, you know, for me. You know, I have been surrounded by amazing black women lawyers who have been like, you know what, when I succeed, you succeed, and we right. succeed together. Right. You know, my mentor who I practice with, she is an amazing attorney, and she built her own book of business. Mm -hmm. I built my own book of business, and we work together. You know, it's like we have a sisterhood, and we take care of one another. Right. And, you know, I have been thankful just to be surrounded by some amazing women mm -hmm. who have encouraged me, who have, you know, checked me when mm -hmm. I needed to be checked, right. but then also said, you know what, you can do this. And, right. you know, being a woman in construction, a black woman in construction, there are avenues and things that you can get and work that you can get because of who you are. Right. So I step fully into that and I own that space right. for who I am. And right. I look at the opportunities and I take those opportunities as they come. I don't wait for anybody to give me anything. That's powerful. And I think um, if more people had that attitude, right, and saying, and understanding the realities, right, because that's what it seems. You understood the realities, look, it's, like, it's gonna be different for me, it's gonna be a different experience. So therefore I gotta, I gotta create my own experiences and create my own avenue to get where I wanna go regardless of kind of what the path may look like through other people's eyes sure. and what other people feel like I should be, right? Yeah. Um, that might come with microaggressions and other things, right? Oh yeah, right? all of them. All of them, right? <laughs> how, so how did you address those? Because you know, because now like, like the, that even that word microaggressions is, mm -hmm. is coming up more and you know, people are starting to call it out, right? Yeah. Uh, which it wouldn't, you know, 10, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. We knew it was happening, right? Especially yeah. as black folks, you know, and sometimes it can be hard to explain though, right? Mm -hmm. That's why it's the microaggressions. It's little it's the little things like, I, it's hard to articulate, especially if you're not right. a person of color, right? right? So right. how did you address those things? Yeah, you know, I don't know that there was an addressing right. or just a, I'm gonna keep moving. Mm. You know, you may act this way or treat me this way or say something that's off right. to me, but you know what? I'm not even gonna acknowledge that because I know who I am. Right. I know what I bring to the table. Right. And you know, you're not me and you'll never be me. You know, so it's just a, um, a confidence mm -hmm. that I have had to that muscle right. that I've had to exercise yeah. time and time again. Right. And it's just kind of like, now it is what it is. And so Cincinnati, Ohio, 
right? Yes. And now you're here in Nashville. Now I'm here in Nashville. So um, you came here from Belmont. Yep. Right? Uh-huh. Undergrad and then and law, school. law school, right? Yeah. I lived in New York City for a while as okay. well. Okay. So. Okay. Shout out to New York, but, you know, you're not in Nashville, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people from New York moving here, actually. Sheesh. You know, uh, yeah, you but know. there's no place yeah, like New York. It's, it's just, it is. No, no. It's, right. it is. I've never been. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I've never been. I, you know, I have this thing just like, you know, I was born and raised here in Nashville. It's a South, East Coast, South. I got, I got like a, I got a grudge with just East Coast in general. Oh I really have a grudge with them. But one day, you know, not in the wintertime, but in the summertime, I will go and visit New York City. And I got, I got some people up there too, like some friends of mine. So I'm gonna yeah. visit. Yeah. Um, my best, some of my best times. I found my people when I was in New York, and so some of my best memories yeah. of like being carefree and in the city. Right. You should go. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> So, here in Nashville now, how how was that move transitioning here from Cincinnati to New York? And then, like, here you went to school and stuff, but, like, Nashville has grown a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, since the last 20 years, right? It's just yeah. taken off. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I remember when I came here as an undergrad student mm-hmm. at Belmont, I, it was the first time that somebody called me and a nigger. Wow. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that was kind of a slap in the face. It was like my first time away from home, you yeah. know, at the school, all white school. There were five of us, five black students. We all came in on scholarship, you know, and then I, I get called, you know, a nigger. Um, and so that was a wake up call to me. Like, hey, you're not you're not with your family anymore, you know? So, and my parents, you know, I wouldn't say that they prepared me for that at all. You know, they just, we didn't discuss that, you know, when I was growing up. And so it was just kind of a wake up call and I knew going forward and I was like, well, you know what? I am in a better position than that person. That person is ignorant and I'm just gonna move on. But it was a defining moment. It was the first time that I saw how other people in the South saw me, mm. right? And so my mom would always say, she's like, I'm not moving to the South. You know, she's like, you live in a Southern city, right. you know? And, you know, some of those things have played out, you know, right. um, being in the South. But, you know, there's some great people here. Um, and I think as long as people have the willingness to be open mm-hmm. and call a spade a spade, right. you know, like I don't do this whole, um, what is it? They call it Southern um, hospitality. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's one thing that I appreciated about New York. You knew where you stood with people. Mm-hmm. They were happy yeah. to tell you yeah, we you know, know. We, we're friendly we wave hey you know. and then cut you behind <laughs> <laughs> my preference would be let me know who you are so i know how to deal accordingly versus the whole smelling no, we'll your face the hospitality you. now yeah. then, we, then we'll talk about you right yeah <laughs> right. wow that's yeah. crazy yeah and and i and, and i never thought because but cincinnati is not that it's like, like it's not that far like because yeah. it's like it's kentucky yeah. Right, and it's like a couple hours away, right? Yeah. But wow. it was it was night and day, you know, coming here in the beginning, 
And I really had to grapple with some things that I didn't experience right. growing up in Cincinnati. So, wow. I mean, it was good, you know, yeah. like everyone has their coming of age in mm-hmm. their own way. I had my coming of age in a Southern city and got to experience, you know, the South really for what it was. So, you know, but it made me who I am And today. we're the Athens of the South. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, it, it, but, but, you know, it helped you grow. It helped me grow. It helped you grow. Helped me grow. <laughs> helped me grow. Amazing growth. Yes. So, in the, and so, okay, so you here, you, you, you finished law school, mm-hmm. right? And are you still here or is that, or did you move to New York? So, after undergrad. After undergrad, you moved to New York. Moved to New York. Then came back. Then came back. From law school. Then, then came you back. stayed. Then I stayed. Okay. What then made you stay? What? Yeah. So that's what made you stay. Right. So I was pregnant. Okay. Um, and so the choice was moving home uh, to my parents, right. which that wasn't going to work, <laughs> um, or coming to Nashville. Mm-hmm. You know, the place that I had, you know, kind of cut my teeth in right. adulthood. Still had friends here. Mm-hmm. My sister was here, and right. so. I just, I came back and, you know, didn't know that in coming back, you know, I would start to see things in this community that I wanted to make better, you know, for everyone. Um, But mainly like for my people, Mm -hmm. I saw how our people and frankly, some of the immigrants who had come over here, I was working with the school at the time and helping their parents, you know, understand our school system and Mm -hmm. they didn't speak the language they didn't know the culture it was such a big thing to overcome for them right and I just saw how they were treated and you know I don't like when people are mistreated you know that is just something that my mom instilled in us you know we if you see someone being mistreated you have to do something about that you don't just get to sit back and so when I came back here I was kind of in a world where I saw a lot of people being mistreated they didn't know their rights no one was taking the time to explain anything to them Mm -hmm. and they were just being railroaded in in this community and so i knew that i had to do something about it you're you're in a particular uh law practice right um a lot of times people think about law i think they go straight to like criminal justice criminal legal criminal punishment however you want to call it yes right (laughs) however you want to call it but you're in like you said like construction law yeah uh real estate business litigation like that that world of it right yes um and it's interesting because Nashville is growing. Nashville a lot of business, a lot of big businesses is 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 is, is coming here, right? And is here. Yeah. Um, so what does that look like in your job, right? As far as in how that impacts community. Yeah, yeah. So I represent a lot of small business owners, you know. So I do have some big, larger clients, um, but most of my clients are small business. You know, and small business owners need attorneys too. You mm-hmm. know, they have issues where they're not getting paid on things or, you know, something has gone wrong. Um, I rep- I've represented some police officers in discrimination lawsuits. So my practice really focuses on 
our community, you know, but just the business owners in our community. And there are a lot of those people. There are a lot of business owners. And one thing that I love is when I get to meet a new client or a client is opening up a new business and I get to see someone who looks like me following their dreams and they've got the money to go with it. You know, they are changing the trajectory of their life and their family's life and then providing jobs for other people, you know. So it's that's how I impact community, Mm -hmm. you know, is by working with, you know, our businesses and making sure that we've got good representation right um in the legal system do you find that um a lot of small businesses um have a hard time finding representation and like just understanding what do i do in these situations where like i i feel like it's a legal issue but i just don't know how to handle it right yeah yeah and what i try to do is a holistic approach with my clients They come to me for a specific issue, right? Right. Either they're being sued or they need to sue someone. But then I take a step back and I'm like, well, let's look at the health of the business. Do we have the proper, you know, formation? Is the company set up right? You Mm -hmm. know, who's your accountant? You know, I look at the whole structure because I don't want them coming to see me again on an issue that we could prevent going forward. You know, I tell my clients... Um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm. Spend the dollars, you know, to ask the right questions of the legal professional on the front end because it's going to save you so much money, time, and heartache on the back end. So, And so I'm really excited to get to this part of it, how this kind of translates over into Chancery Court. Yes. Right? Because, again, when we hear court, we hear court system, we go in straight into like criminal, legal law. Like, we, we that's because I think that's what we see every day. Right. With news and propaganda and just kind of what's happening, we think of the criminal side of it. But that's right. not what typically happens in chancery, chancery court, right? Right. So, break that down to us. What, what, what is like some of the critical issues or matters that we should be aware of that still affects all of us in community that happens in Chancery Court? Yeah, so Chancery Court is one of the most important courts in the state of Tennessee, our Davidson County Chancery Court, because Davidson County in Nashville is the, it's the seat of the state, you Mm. know, so the litigation and disputes that go on in Chancery Court have reached for the entire state of Tennessee. So some of the cases that chancellors here and even Chancellor Lyle, who um, is retiring, you know, our ability to vote by mail during the pandemic, that was a big case that affected the election. It affected all Tennesseans of whether or not we could you know, people could actually vote by mail or if they had to go out during the pandemic. You know, redistricting, you know, is a a big thing that is happening, you know, with the new maps drawn by the legislature. Right. That lawsuit is in chancery court right now, being heard by one of the chancellors, you know. So there are just these far-reaching disputes that go to chancery court. Chancery Court also hears what we call metro litigation. So, like, if someone is suing Nashville, Mm -hmm. you know, about an ordinance or, you know, something went wrong in in some type of dispute against the city, 
that goes to Chancery Court. You know, doctors, dentists, barbers, beauticians, if something goes wrong, um, if someone files something against their licensure, right. and then they have to have a hearing at the board, and they don't feel that they got a just or fair hearing, they appeal to the Chancery Court. Mm. So Chancery Court touches all of these different areas of, right. of life. Um, you will go to Chancery Court if you have a dispute that's over $25,000, but also if you need somebody to stop doing something. Right. You know, So let's say somebody took your likeness, Jerome, and they mm -hmm. said, I'm Jerome. Right. You're like, no, I'm Jerome. Right. You know, you may file a motion with the Chancery Court to make them stop using your likeness, your name, that you right. did not give them permission to do. Now, that might not have any monetary value, right. but the court has the ability to make that other person stop using your information, your likeness. Right. So all of that stuff is important to our day-to-day -day lives, you know, okay. and nobody's going to go to jail from Chancery Court, okay. right? Someone's going to be told to stop doing something or to start doing something right. or, you know, money disputes right. or an interpretation of the Constitution right. or the law as it should apply to all of right. the people. Wow. I never knew. <laughs> and I wonder how many people also that's listening, watching this, like knew all of that took place in Chancery Court because, um, yeah. Like, so background, I have a master barber's license. Okay. My dad is a master barber and master barber instructor. And so it was just like, feel right, let me, you know, let me get my license too, right? Yeah. But I would have never thought that as a barber or as a barbershop owner that if I needed to like sue somebody or something like that, that would need to go through a chancery court. Yeah. So right? for if someone, if someone, you know, made a complaint against yeah. your license, you would go to the board that right. issue, issues the license mm -hmm. first. And then let's say you didn't feel like you got a fair hearing there. Right. And you want somebody else to look at it. Right. You're going to appeal to the chancery court. Wow. So like parolees, mm -hmm. um, when they go up for parole, if they don't feel like their matter was heard justly and right. due process, they're going to appeal to the chancery court as well. So it's a it's a very important court that people right. don't talk about. They don't know um, what goes on. You know, there's a... Have you ever heard of the cases where the... The baby is born and it needs a life-saving measure. Yeah. But the parents have a religious, um, a religious belief that prevents them from giving any medical help to the baby. Those things go to Chancery Court, right? Wow. Yeah. So if something happens to your child at school, you know, and you need to sue the school or a teacher, something happens, you know those things go to chancery court and wow. they may not have a monetary value to them right. but you know a chancellor has the ability to say yes this is right stop doing this or we're going to give the baby this life-saving you know wow. medical treatment or we're not you know so it's a very important court to our day-to-day -day lives outside of criminal justice yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah Damn, I, I I never I never knew and I never thought about that. Like, yeah. and why is it not not talked about more? Because I think <laughs> that probably affects probably more people on a daily basis than the criminal justice system, right? Right. right. And so, um, right. yeah, we got to start giving more more spotlights to our, our chancery uh, judges out here <laughs> uh, in the courts. <laughs> right. Um, 
and that kind of pivots me to like my next question what makes you the best candidate for this seat right right so number one I have this business background mm -hmm. this business experience hands-on business experience coupled with the legal experience right. and frankly it's that mix of business and legal that no other chancellor has mm -hmm. that makes me in in my opinion a perfect candidate for this because right. chancery court hears so much business litigation right. it also hears construction litigation a lot of construction litigation right you see all the cranes going up and around nashville all of the disputes it takes a special understanding of the laws and how those laws are applied to those particular cases and i do that right. i'm in chancery court all of the time. I've also clerked with the Honorable Judge Richard H. Dinkins on the Court of Appeals, so I have an appellate background as well. Okay. And when I say appellate, I mean, so when you appeal from one of the administrative boards, like someone filed something against your barber's license, you don't like what happened, you wanna appeal, there's a certain way that you look at the case when it's on appeal. Okay. And me having worked with um, Judge Richard Dinkins on the Court of Appeals, I have that experience as well. So when we look at a whole, a, a well-rounded candidate and what someone brings to the bench as far as their experience, their education, their legal practice, you know, we want to look at, at the whole candidate, right. you know? And I, I work, I come from a good law firm, right. you know, so... I think that I'm the most qualified, frankly. And, and I bring a unique perspective, yeah. a perspective that we've never had on our chancery courts here in Davidson County or in the state of Tennessee. And I think it's time that that, that perspective be have a seat at the table. And I know you talk about this like in your, in your, in your campaign platform about, about perspective and also about like, social and economic status, gender, sexual orientation, race, color, um, and just creating an equitable and just and equal um, court system, right? Because um, it's not talked about as much, right, mm -hmm. the Chancery Court, but it's talked about a lot of times on the legal side, on the criminal side of court of disparities, like systemic disparities, especially right. racial disparities, gender disparities, right, that happen in, when it comes to decision making. Does those experiences exist too on the chancery school on the chancery court side, and what does that look like? Of course they, yeah. of course they. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, just because someone isn't going to jail or having a a harsher sentence, right. you know, being sentenced to forty five years when their counterpart was sentenced to five, the same thing can happen in business, mm. right? You know, you can look at the law and the contract can say, you know, John gets X, but for some reason, the other party gets X instead of John, right? right? And so those disparities can happen in business disputes as well. And they do happen. They, right. they happen every day, day in and day out. And I believe that our system of justice needs to be fair and equitable for all of us. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be, well, I know this lawyer or I know this company and therefore I am going to 
give them the benefit of the doubt over here. You right. know, it's the it's the same the same disparities can happen in both sides, so on the civil side as well right. as on the criminal side. And those are the disparities that have to be addressed. And right. frankly, the only way those things get addressed is that we have people on the bench mm -hmm. who are committed right. to ensuring that everyone is treated fairly. Right. Not, I'm gonna give my friend a pass right. because they're my friend. Right. So you have an opponent. <clears throat> what separates you from your opponent um, for this candidacy race um, in Chancery Court Part 3? Yeah. Um, so number one, my experience does. Okay. You know, I have a well-rounded experience um, that sets me apart. Also, I think you want to look at someone's judicial character, their temperament, their poise, how they carry themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that is very important when we think about who is going to be sitting on the bench. And we should take that into consideration. Right. Um, you want someone who you know is going to listen to all sides, not make light of anything, mm -hmm. and be serious about the matters that are coming before the court because these affect people's lives. Right. And frankly, just because you've been practicing law for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that you're more qualified, right? Right. right. What types of experiences have you had that best suit you for the position? Right. You know, and I would posit that my variegated backgrounds, appellate experience, hands-on business experience, in and out of that court daily, construction law, that's a, those are the types of experiences that we want our, chancer, our chancellors to have. And frankly, you know, when we think about tech and technology and, you know, companies of the future, mm -hmm. some of my companies, you know, do a lot of tech work, right? right? You want the person on the bench to be able to know and understand what you all are talking about when right. you come in and you have a dispute. Right. You don't want them having to figure out, you know, what is Bitcoin, you know, what is Instagram, you know, what is the new technology, right. you know? You want someone who has an understanding, has right. their finger on the pulse of, of our culture, of society, and also has the business acumen and the legal acumen to make a good decision right. for the people, the parties before the court. I'm glad you you brought that up because I think like cultural competency like is 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 huge. It's a big yes. deal, right? And this is an eight year term, right? I yes. just call it a go ahead and call it a decade. <laughs> you know, might as well, might as well round it on up, and that's right. a long time, right? It is. That's that's a hell of a long time mm -hmm. um, because it's not like after two years or four years, like oh we can get some like we can, no no after four years you have another four right. years, right? Right, right. Um, so how how do you plan on maintaining that cultural competencies tapped in into community, right? Mm -hmm. um, as potentially, you know, the, the new judge, the Chancery Court Part 3. Yeah. So number one, I've got little kids. So they will make sure. And I have a teenager, so, like, I am up on all of the things yeah, that are going place. on. <laughs> it's like I am a private investigator on the side, <laughs> just, you know, making sure that I am aware. 
Um, and so definitely that, that will help, you know, the fact that I am raising children um, and, you know, as technology changes, I have to keep up with what they have going on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, so I, I will say I am, age-wise, I am younger um, than the sitting chancellors. And so I plan on still being a part of the community, right. you know, like I think that our judges here should be approachable, that they should be active in the community, that they should be around for you to still have interactions with. Mm -hmm. Just because you're a judge doesn't mean that you go off and you, you stop interacting and, and, and living your life, right. you know. So I plan on continuing to be involved. I still plan on helping out with expungement clinics. I still plan on, you know, going and talking to the kids at Cane Ridge High School about, you know, financial literacy because, right. like, the, this is our future. Right. I look at the kids. They are our future. I have kids. They are definitely our future. Right. If we don't plant seeds in them, right they won't grow. Right. You know, so I plan on staying involved. You know, you're you're still going to see me out. Right. I'm not going to the house. Right. Okay. So. Yeah, we want to, that's the thing. We at, we see y'all out campaigning, but when campaign's over or not, we be like, where, where the judges go? <laughs> so we got you on record. We want we want to see you still out here, you know, doing your thing. Yes. Um. How, how have you in the past, right, before the campaign itself, um, kind of stayed in touch with community, particular organizations or schools, right? How have, how have you did that and, and, and like, and what does more of that look like, right, in the potential eight years? Right, so I serve on a lot of boards. Mm -hmm. Right now I'm the president of the Napier Luby Bar Association. I was the vice president and the treasurer before that. Okay. Um, I currently serve on the board of Elevated Development, and we actually go into schools and we talk to kids about financial literacy. And it is wonderful to see some of their lights turn on when you start talking about money. They're right. like, oh, let me pay attention. But, you know, those are conversations that I wish my mom and dad had with me when right. I was in high school or younger so that I had an awareness of how money was made, you know, the different ways to do it versus learning that in college and then, you know, kind of I felt like being kind of late um, mm -hmm. to to the game a little bit. Um, but I still plan on being involved in those things. You know, as I was talking about the expungement clinics, mm -hmm. I started the first expungement clinic in Rutherford County. You know, I've done um, other clinics. I've partnered with Judge Bell with her expungement clinics. I enjoy that work, you know. I still plan on doing that work when I'm on the bench, you know, because it's a way to give back. Right. These jobs are public service jobs. You know, I could stay at my firm and work in the private corporate law firm if I wanted to. Right. But I've always had a heart for service and have always tried to make sure that I am serving my community in some capacity. So I don't believe that you can be an effective public servant if you're not out there serving. Right. You know, so you, my kids and I, we feed the, the poor at the Nashville Rescue Mission. Mm -hmm. I still, my 15-year-old is coming with me because I need him to understand, right. you know, not everybody has it 
you know, like he has it. And right. I want him to appreciate, this is selfish, but I want right. him to appreciate what he has, right. but then also have a heart to know that there are people out there who need our help. And For that's sure. what we should be doing. For Everybody sure. can give back in some capacity. So you'll still see me out there. Okay. And I think this is a big one too, accountability, mm. right? Um, it's really it's really hard for judges it's really hard for community to hold judges accountable a lot mm-hmm. of times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's like court watch and things like that to kind of be able to see what goes on in the courtroom um, and with judges and kind of you know see how how equitable, how fair mm-hmm. they're they're being to everybody that walks in there. And it's educational too, right? A lot of people just don't know what what is going on in our courtrooms unless right. you you know have to be in court, right? Yeah. Which we don't want. Um, and so. From that accountability piece, how will you respond to that from community, right? Yeah. They want to say, hey, you know, you know, why did you make this decision? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, how did you come to this decision? How did you come to that choice? Um, do you welcome something like a court watch? Oh, yeah. So the one thing that I learned when I was on the Court of Appeals with Judge Dinkins, and I loved what he did. Now, he did this with the students. He would invite them in mm-hmm. and let them watch court. And then he would buy them lunch and they would go into like a conference room and they would talk about what they had seen and heard that day. You know, it kind of broke down the barrier between the judge and the students. And they got a a small group setting, you Mm -hmm. know, with a sitting appellate court judge. You know, I think that same concept can be applied to the community. Come watch court on Fridays, dockets, come watch be a part of the process. If you think that there's something that, you know, I need to do better, tell me. Right. You know, I'm open to feedback. The only way that you are better is if you have feedback and you're right. hearing from the people. And like I said, this is a service job. Right. I work for you all. Right. I would work for you, just like I work for my clients. And they sure enough call if they <laughs> if something is not done right. the way they want it done. You know, yeah. I welcome that feedback because it is a way, number one, to break down the barrier, I think, between the courts and the community. Right. You know, people only come to court on a really bad day mm-hmm. or something has gone terribly wrong. Right. But why not come just to see what's going on in the courtroom? Yeah. You know, why not come when there's, you know, a motion hearing? You might learn something. Right. You might make a connection with somebody out in the hall that leads you to another place in your business. Mm -hmm. You just never know just by coming to court and seeing who's there, learning something, you know, from the proceedings that you can take away with you. What would be the benefit for businesses here in Nashville and Davidson County, um, small business owners, large ones, anything above $25,000, what would be the benefit of them coming into a courtroom with you on the bench? Mm. So we've never had a woman of color Mm. chancellor um, sit on our Davidson County bench, the state of Tennessee. We've never had a civil trial court judge who's a woman of color in Davidson County. And it is a statistic, it's statistically proven that corporations do better when they have diversity in their ranks, 
when they have diverse boards, when they have diverse CEOs, CFOs, you know, people in leadership. The company as a whole does better than a company that is homogenous. And I would posit that our court system will do better and be more equitable and fair to all people when there are different voices and different perspectives at the table. You know, I'm a firm believer that the community has to have faith that the judicial system is for them. Mm -hmm. The only way that that is accomplished is when our judiciary is reflective of the community that it serves. People cannot go to another forum to get their disputes resolved. You have to go to court. And if you walk in a court and nobody looks like you, not from the front, you know, from the time you enter all the way up to the bench, psychologically, you're going to say, you know what, they're against me. Right. Just from the look of the room. Right. You know, and in it's 2022. It just shouldn't be that way anymore. Right. And there's no reason that it has to continue that right. way. You know, and, and you asked me one of the reasons that I'm doing this, and I think about my daughter McCartney. You know, I don't want her to ever think that because no one else has done it before that she can't do it. Mm. You know, so for every young lawyer, every young black female lawyer, every young lawyer of color, I don't want them to think because we've never been on the judiciary in Nashville or Davidson County, then we can never be there. That's just not the case. It just takes one person saying, you know what, I may fall down completely, you know, but at least I've advanced the the ball forward for all of us and you know the next eight years maybe it'll happen that time but it doesn't ever happen if we don't ever get out of the boat and get into the game so essentially you you could potentially make history right here in Nashville in Davis County um yeah that's that's a big deal (laughs) no that's that's a big hill and um you would never know unless you try Right. Never know unless you try. You never know unless you try. And I think that's important. Um, whether win or lose, you have to try to see if you win or lose. Right. But that could definitely spark a different catalyst for somebody else to say, oh, well, you know, Aisha did it. Well, I, I, could, I possibly can do it then. Right. You right. Know? Um, you always want to leave any situation, win, lose, or draw. And I don't believe in losing. That is right. not something that is in my vocabulary. Right. You may pivot to do something different, right. but you don't ever lose because you've learned along the way yep. and you've grown, right. and so it's always a win. Right. But you always want to leave the situation better right. than when it started. And so no matter what happens with this campaign, Nashville, I hope you all vote for me, but even if you don't, the situation is better because I ran. Right. It's better for all people. More people know what the Chancery Court does. Right. You know, so our communities are being educated about this very, very important court. So to me, it's a win all the way around. What is What has been the biggest thing you've learned so far during this journey that makes you the best candidate for this seat? Mm. It makes me the best candidate for this seat. So... It's really the ability to listen to all people. Mm-hmm. You know, I have had, I have gone into our community mm-hmm. and then I have gone into the Green Hills community. You know, I've gone into, met with the Muslim community. It's really having the ability 
to bring all people together. Right. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants a system that right. is fair and equitable right. for all of us. Nobody wants to feel like they're left out. Right. And it's that listening ear and being able to say, you know what, I don't have all of the answers. Mm -hmm. I, I may have to get back with you on that, you right. know, so, but being able to listen, digest the information, mm -hmm. and try to make it better, I think that makes me the best candidate. I want to give you the last word. Um, is there anything else that maybe we didn't talk about that you would like voters to know, uh, be mindful of, um, before early voting in April and um, the voting date in May? You know, I think that in 2022, I am still surprised that we have not yet come as far as we probably should be as a society, as a community, as a southern city in Nashville. You know, unfortunately, racism is still alive and well and it rears its head in a real way when people think that you should not be somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I, I can honestly say I didn't anticipate in this journey. Wow. And it was kind of a, a slap in the face, you know, when we sometimes talk about the women's movement and how, you know, it's all about women uplifting of women and that is not true when you want something that certain women don't think you should have you know and so that was that was kind of an aha moment right. for me and in a way it was freeing right. you know cuz i again i'm like show me the colors at right. least i know what i'm dealing with so that i can navigate around right you know but in doing that i also learned that just because a certain sect or certain group of people says this is not for you doesn't mean that it's not impossible right it just means that you have to be creative about how you go and do it right you know you you know, maybe take the longer route or you go to people who have never been asked to participate in a judicial race and you talk to them right. about what, why do they care about their courts or you educate them about the court and then all of a sudden you've got your biggest fans over there. Right. You know, the other thing I learned is that sometimes your support will come from unlikely places. Mm-hmm. One of the people who has been so instrumental in, you know, this campaign for me is an older white attorney. Mm. And he has gone to the map for me. And he didn't have to do that. Right. You know, but I look at him and I said, I never would have thought it would have been you. Right. You know, so you can never going into certain things. You never know who's going to be for you and who's going to be against you. Right. The one thing that I've learned is always be true to yourself because you're going to have haters on every side, you right. know, and you can't please everybody all the time. Right. So if you're true to yourself day in and day out, you will be at peace mm. no matter what. You know, so that's been kind of the biggest aha. And I think that that makes me stronger 
as a person, you know, stronger with no matter what I'm going to do, right. you know, going forward. Because right. I have learned through a very public way how to be true to myself mm-hmm. and to have people throw shade and be like, that's okay. Right. It's all good. Still going to shine through the shade. Still going to shine through the shade. Well, um, as we close, I want to give you the last word to just tell the potential voters, you know, early voting is in April, um, voting days in May, um, that, that elevator pitch on why they should vote for you. And also if they have more questions that maybe we didn't talk about here, how can they reach out to you and, um, find out more about you and kind of what the eight, what the next eight years could possibly look like. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I hope all of you all will vote for me. You know, if you look at my campaign and how hard I have run um, since Chancellor Lyle announced her retirement, I have really been out there listening to all of you. And our Chancery Court is so very, very, very important. Having someone who has a diverse background and experience and brings all of that to the bench is something that benefits all of us in the end, you know? And someone who's committed to equity, someone who's committed to saying, I don't care who you are, how you come in, if you're rich or poor, you know, what race you are, who you love, I'm gonna treat you with respect because that's how I wanna be treated, right? right? I'm not gonna look down on anyone because I've had so many people look down on me, like who am I to ever look down on anyone? And I think that there's a humbleness and a grace. You never know how people walk through the door or what they dealt with before they come into the door. And so I just believe in treating people with grace and respect. And so if you want that on your Davidson County bench, you know, for the next eight years, because you never know, you know, if you'll end up in Chancery Court, you know, you should vote for me. You know, I tell people there will only be one Aisha on the ballot. I promise you that. Um, my last name is Miles, you know, but um, you can check me out on Instagram at Aisha Miles for Judge. My website is milesforjudge.com. You can email me at info at milesforjudge. And, uh, you know, send me a message or send me a, a DM on, on Instagram or on Facebook. And I'm happy. I'm an open book. You can also find me at the law firm. So I'm at Bo <laughs> McAllister. You can just look them up and call. And, you know, you can actually get to me very quickly there. So. Aisha, I appreciate this. Um, Thank you. I learned a lot. Hopefully, um, our viewers and listeners learned a lot as well. And again, I advocate uh, for everybody: get out there, vote, judicial elections. We only had twenty-five thousand people the last judicial elections out of like four hundred or five hundred people here in the city. Right. We got to do better. Yes. And we have to have a better turnout because, again, these are eight eight years. This this is a long time. A long and time. So, um, yeah, let's do it, Nashville. Let's let's show up and. Thank you again. And uh, until next time, we got to have you back. Yes, thank you. I do just want to real quick say, like, um, I'll be the only person on the ballot. So, you know, at (laughs) least for Chancery Court Part 3, so it'll be really easy to vote for me as well. Yeah, Easy name, but when you see it, (laughs) you'll know it. (laughs) 
So, but no, this has been wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity. And I believe that we should vote in every single election. You for know, sure. it, we can't complain about how things are going to be if we're not going to vote to. True. To. Community elections, though, local, I put more emphasis because I can see you. Yeah. I might yep. see you at Kroger's. Yep. Publix, wherever, wherever, wherever you shop, I might say, ah, that's, that's Chancery Judge Aisha. Yeah. Hold on now. <laughs> I just, wait, I got a question for you. But right. I don't, you know, if I can ask, but, or I can just, congrat, I can just give you kudos. Yeah. Right? And so I just think that's, you know, especially the accountability part and local elections, you can really touch, feel, and see the candidates in real time and they're not out of reach, right? Right, and the local elections, your local officials actually affect your everyday lives. Every day. Right, like the president, okay, yes, vote for the president. But at the end of the day, right. that doesn't affect your everyday lives. Right. It's whoever your state representative is, you know, your state congressman, your local officials, yep. your school board, your judges, right. all City of those local, yes, exactly. Holiday, yep. Those folks up in the legislature, yep. they are the ones who are making the laws mm -hmm. that govern us here in Tennessee. Right. You've got to pay attention right. and vote in for every right. local election. Thank you again. Thank you. And, this uh, was great. No, I, I hope people. I had a good time. So I hope everybody I else learns something. I feel like they do. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. Thank Until you. Bye bye.